You're listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. On this episode of Chicago Writes, actor, screenwriter, and publisher of Renegade Press, LLC, from Appleton, Wisconsin, Dan Davies. CWA announcements, and in news for writers, Mark Twain. A paying gig for food writers, six and possibly seven types of conflict, and more. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Are you writing a novel? Submit the first chapter of your work, up to 10 pages, to CWA's 7th Annual First Chapter Contest. First prize is a full scholarship to attend either the all-genre Novel in Progress Book Camp and Writing Retreat from June 18th through the 24th, 2023, or the Speculative Fiction Novel in Progress Book Camp and Writing Retreat from August 13th through the 19th, 2023, at the Siena Retreat in Racine, Wisconsin. Second and third place winners will receive cash awards. The top three entries will be published in CWA's Wright City Magazine. A non-refundable fee of $15 must be made online on the same date as the author's entry is submitted. Deadline is October 1st, 2022. Winners will be announced by December 2022. Now is the time to join Chicago Writers Association. It's open to writers and authors anywhere in the world. Unlock a wealth of writer and author resources, programs, and benefits for just $25 per year by visiting chicagorights.org or click on the link in the notes below. Chicago Writers Association membership, by the way, makes a great gift. Press, Subsidy Press, Boutique Publisher, Traditional, and Mainstream Publishers. According to Wikipedia, the term Vanity Press is considered a pejorative, implying that an author who uses such a service is publishing out of vanity and that his or her work otherwise would not be commercially successful or viable. But isn't that sort of like saying the Italian dish you love at that mom-and-pop place across town isn't good because Olive Garden doesn't offer it on their menu? This from Bookseller.com. DOJ says Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster merger will create duopoly as trial over $2.2 billion deal concludes. This is from August 22, 2022 by Mark Chandler. The Justice Department has claimed Penguin Random House's $2.2 billion merger with Simon & Schuster will create a duopoly and damage competition in the United States. On the final day of a three-week trial in Washington, D.C. on the 19th of August, lawyers for Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster defended the merger, arguing that it would actually increase competition. You know, like Starbucks actually increased competition with all those independent coffee shops it put out of business. Presenting his closing argument, Department of Justice attorney John Reed said the merger would reduce the number of players in the market and exacerbate the risk of coordination. According to Publishers Weekly, he said, the merger will end that competition which benefits authors and authors will earn less money for what they write. We brought this case because the best protection for authors is robust competition, Reed said. This is not about the passion of publishers for books and authors. This is about the largest publisher, Random House, cementing its position at the top of the food chain. Uh, I'm sorry, of the market. Freudian slip there. Reed said the defendants had tried to persuade Judge Florence Pan that publishing was, quote, an industry where the normal rules of economics and antitrust do not apply. Officer. The normal rules of stopping at stop signs don't seem to apply to me. Reed added, It's almost like they're claiming that the value of books isn't about expected sales, but alchemy. I'd say they were smoking a bit of alchemy. 
He also dismissed the argument that competitors such as Amazon Publishing could take on the established U.S. Big Five, noting that no other publisher entering the market in the last 30 years has become as strong as those companies. His closing argument repeated figures from the government's expert witness, economist Nathan Hill, who found the merged company would control 49% of the market for anticipated top-selling books, and the big five will have more than 95% of the market. Which brings up some interesting and alarming questions about culture, propaganda, censorship, not to mention the banal homogenization of an art form. In his own closing argument, Penguin Random House attorney Bill Petroselli reiterated what many witnesses have suggested that taking on books is a gamble, so now they're a casino. The position was memorably summed up by Dole during testimony, who said, everything is random in publishing. Success is random. Bestsellers are random. So that is why we are Random House. Oh, that's clever. Dan Davies is best known as a writer, actor, and producer of the cult film Ed Gein the Musical. He co-starred with Sadie Kay in Misadventure Meets Motorhead, which was a highly rated video on Will Ferrell and HBO's Funny or Die. He won the Best Supporting Actor for a Comedy along with Majid Nichelle and John Dumello in the 2017 Golden Movie Awards for his work, A Trip to Jamaica. In 2017, Davies appeared in the revenge thriller, Wronged, and the psychological thriller, Mr. Thursday. Add to that list, publisher... Early this year, Dan Davies started what he describes as a boutique publishing house, Renegade Press, LLC. The LLC is important there also uh, that you're located in Appleton, Wisconsin. You also had a uh, supporting role, I, I should mention, in uh, I Dream of Psychopop, which uh, opened uh, at the uh, the Music Box Theater here in Chicago last September, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Before we get down in the weeds, Dan Davies, about uh, Renegade Press, let's talk about the piece that I just read uh, about publishing mergers, your thoughts on that. Part <clears throat> of the reason that I wanted to have you on this episode of Chicago Rights is that you illustrate an entrepreneurial mindset in the marketplace, a bit of a damn the torpedoes mindset, if I could say that. As, as authors, we're, we're often pounded into the dirt to the point of lethargy by the publishing industry. But why can't anyone start up a, a small press and be successful at it? Yeah. And, and to your point about the duopoly, you know, which is essentially uh, <laughs> a monopoly of two. Yeah. Um, the federal government, it's, it's really strange. In the last 20, 30 years, they've been a little bit hands-off when it comes to uh, monopolies and collusion, yeah. and which is very strange. You know, you, you, Walmart grew and destroyed, you know, Kmart and Sears and all these things. Small town America, yeah, yeah. mainstream yeah. America. And, and sadly, I think, you know, Walmart is gonna be, and this is just a prediction and I hope it doesn't, but they might be on the chopping block too. Just Amazon yeah. is just, it's the King Kong of uh, distribution and merchandising. But the, the one thing that really bothers me, well, actually two things, is the collusion end of it, of them setting the price points. When the top five publishers get together and own about 95% of the market share, the, the losers are gonna be the authors and, and they're gonna be the winners because they can dictate, you know, this is a percentage I want you to have, but where else are you gonna go? you know, you're only going to get, you know, 10, 20, 30%. We'll keep the 70 or whatever, 80, 90. So that's a problem. Secondarily is that censorship. So if you had these five major companies coming together, at least two or three of them, the, the, the first wrong people that are actually part of your acquisitions are your editors and readers. So they get thousands of copies of manuscripts a day, you know, and that's why it says specifically, it, please give us eight to 10 months before we even look at your manuscript. Holy smokes. Mm -hmm. But you, you could have a whole group of them um, of the same mindset, which is bad. Be it far left or far right, it doesn't matter. But I'm afraid it could be politicized. It could be censored if enough of them were of one homogenous uh, political ideology, either you know left or, or right. 
doesn't matter which one, it's still, it shouldn't be that way. It should be objective. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm afraid of. The book is a proponent of something that could be considered radical in their minds. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to put it on the, in the circular file, you know, in the garbage. Their, their success and their size becomes a choke point because they have to choose titles and promote titles, which, uh, which will generate X amount of, of income for the yeah. company. And that goes back to the analogy that I made between the mom and pop place where you might have, they, they, they might've come here from Italy, uh, just as an, as an example. And they have a dream of creating these wonderful meals, every plated in the house. Olive Garden by uh, just by their sheer size has to pander to a much broader range of, of tastes, but they also have to, by necessity, generate income in yeah. order to in order to justify their size at some point. You where the where the mom and pop place doesn't doesn't have that uh, that burden, and and they can they can concentrate on those flavors. They can cook that specific recipe or or experiment that that recipe. I've, I've been in a ton of restaurants where you know they said, "Hey, we're trying something new. Do you, would you like to try it?" Yeah. Um, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that at at a, at a big chain place. No, um, because they have to be safer. But that becomes a choke point, and and the publishing business is very very much the same the yeah. same way. It becomes it becomes a choke point in which the culture suffers. Yeah, you're not going to get opposing views. You're not going to get a um, minority view, meaning minority, yeah. not just you know, race, color, creed, but a minority right. theology or philo philosophical bent, you're not going to get those because yeah. they can't afford to have someone who's, you know, mm -hmm. too far, again, too far left, too far mm -hmm. right, or very unique. They need to homogenize it and they need to make yeah. it so that, you know, this is, it's formulaic. And yeah, it, indeed. It, yeah. And screenplays are the same way. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're trying to, to pitch an idea, they go back to the same formulaic, um, yeah. Uh, algorithm and metric that they've used mm -hmm. years, you know, the act one, act two, act three, and, and you have to have this by page 15 and, and this by page 30. And that stifles creativity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing I think we're going to see in the publishing world. One of the reasons that I started it was I wanted to give um, an opportunity for a fresh voice, uh -huh. have it very unique and, and to curate that creativity no matter what it is. I, mm -hmm. I don't have a genre in mind. I don't have a specific market in mind. I like great stories. You know, they mm -hmm. always, they'd ask Hitchcock after a couple of drinks, they, they'd get him and, and he didn't like uh, a lot of uh, interlopers and, and people questioning him. But after a couple of drinks, you could say, Alfred Hitchcock, what are the three things that make a movie great? And say, well, I'll tell you, number one, it's story. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's story. Number three, it's story. It's all about the story. Yeah. The same goes with, with publishing, yep. but you don't want to have to have it homogenized and fit into the, the square, you know, peg. Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. You, you want to be a little bit different with that. And that's what I think like Renegade Press, my company is boutique just because it's me. Okay. <laughs> you know? yeah, um, yeah. They don't have a, a massive staff. I do have an amazing person that I use for, editing and uh, book cover art. Her name is Sydney Pirtle. Other than that, it's just, it's me. Okay. So uh, I want to give, you know, independent creative writers that opportunity. So talk about the, the impetus or the inspiration behind starting up uh, a small press, uh, which is, which is kind of a, kind of a spiritual and phil philosophical leap to yeah. make uh, ahead of doing, of, of actually starting up, up a, a publishing house. Yeah. And, and the one thing I think during COVID that I found, what I, my first book came out in and called The Rantings of a Madman on Facebook mm -hmm. and, you know, did halfway decent. I didn't know what I was doing really with the marketing and PR of it and publicity. I did it kind of as a lark. I thought, yeah. well, this is kind of fun and funny to do. And but 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 sending it out as a manuscript to these big publishing houses during COVID, everybody, I think, at their, their, the back of their mind staying at home, well, it's time for me to write the great American novel. You know, so you see, you had a, an explosion of writers, good, mm -hmm. bad, different, who were sending, you know, manuscripts 
and they got inundated. And the, the big five or so were literally saying, like I said before, you wait eight to 10 months before we can even read. And yeah. we can't even promise you that we'll read it. And, and people nowadays, it's gimme, 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 now, now, now. You can't, in that, that mindset, it's really difficult to wait a full year or year and a half to something you've already finished. So yeah. why not have the opportunity to get something out sooner than later within a month or two instead of a year and a half. So that's kind of what I was thinking. I thought if I could have a, a publishing house, uh, that would quicken it a bit for sure. But it's also, uh, it adds a legitimacy too. Uh, you know, with, with self-publishing, like you said earlier, Bill, it's kind of like, well, you couldn't make it in the big leagues, so you self-published. Now there are self-published books that are selling uh, hundreds of thousands of units. Right, yeah, and, yeah. And it's, it's all about, you know, again, that marketing, publicity, and story, mm -hmm. story, story. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that opportunity for some of these writers. But it was like, it's, it's, diff, it's like doing a film, too, because the biggest thing is if you create a film and you self-distribute, you know, the biggest thing is, well, how come you couldn't get a big distributor yeah. to do that? Yeah. Well, again, they're inundated, and you just want to get it out there because you think it's good. But... Yeah, I was just, I wanted to give people that opportunity through Renegade Press to see, to quicken it a bit and to entertain different voices. So we're, we're going to get into, into the nuts and bolts of everything that you can and, and that you, you're unable to do or, or the limitations of, of being a small house with a very small staff, which I think most people would understand. Let me start here because you're a film guy mm -hmm. and... Again, you know, I, I'm just uh, just exploring that that lead to to begin a, a publishing house. What did you learn in film? Because you you've had some success in in distribution and marketing your films. Ed, Ed, Ed Gein, the musical, is is a great example of that. What did doing that in the film business teach you about becoming a publisher, book publisher? That's a, a great question. What it did was it's anytime you do an independent project and you don't have five to $10 million to spend on PA publicity marketing, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. have to engage every single person that's on the film to say, you all have social media presence mm -hmm. via TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things. So we have to build a team together because you're only as good as your last product yeah we have to build a team within that construct of that film itself with cast and crew you might have 50 60 70 people easily that you can say guys we need to promote the hell out of this mm -hmm. we need to get it on your social media and now you have people with easily three or four thousand followers per yeah. Yeah. Their, you know instagram or facebook pages but you get together as a team and that kind of team concept uh, I took that to the publishing, basically with the potential writers. Mm -hmm. I have to say, we have to do this as a team. You know, I'll do as much as I can to promote the hell out of it, but you have to do the same. But we we talk we talk about that on this podcast all the time. We we've covered uh, we've covered everything from branding to marketing, yep. um, and just the business acumen that you have to have a business yeah. acumen. I I. I I'm an author. I'm a painter. I, you know, I, I've done done a lot of different different things in the arts. One of the things that that we talked about on on the radio show with Carrie Kendall and and on the podcast is that a business acumen or business knowledge or business background is left out of of the conversation with creatives yeah. all yeah. too often. Yeah. But but time and time again, when I talk to to authors who who are best-selling authors, they all profess a substantial market and business acumen. A number of years ago, I was on a, a film set in Los Angeles, and of, of all people, I met Scott Bayo. Okay, <laughs> I met a lot of a lot of celebrities, but I got to talk to Scott, who was a very interesting guy, very bright guy, and we got onto a quick subject about creating your own independent films. Uh -huh. And he basically told me something, you know, he was in uh, Happy Days and Joni Loves Shachi and all kinds of stuff. But he said something that really stuck with me. He said, it's fine and good if you and your buddies create a film and then you go into your garage and set up a screen and you have your beer and popcorn and, and all, that's all it is. That's fine and good. But he said, the bottom line is the amount of eyeballs that are going to see that film. 
The more people that see your film, good, bad, or indifferent, the more you're able to do projects and get bigger, you know, uh, budgets and to be mm-hmm, able to do this mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. He said, that's the simple thing. And a lot of creatives miss out on that. They don't know how to promote themselves, brand themselves, market themselves. And the ones, like you said, the ones that are truly successful, they're, you know, it's the 50% creativity, but it's the 50% the business of yeah. every single day, yeah. promote, promote, promote. That's a great segue into into talking about promotion and marketing. Right out of the blocks, you scored pretty pretty big success with your first release, the the Forest Dark by Sam Johnson. Let's uh, let's talk about that for for just a moment. And I'll, I'll first go through kind of the marketing aspects yeah. Um, yeah. of it. Uh, I set up a page on some social media where I had a group where I did a free giveaway on Kindle and yeah. had over 300 people on that mm-hmm. and then promoted it that way. So had a release on August 11th and it was able to get into number one as a new release and number two overall. And, wow. and what's great about Amazon is there are many categories. So it was under biographies and memoirs, under true crime, under uh, hoaxes and deceptions and forensics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was able to, to be a top 10, top 20 uh, seller consistently from August 11 on, which I'm really, really stoked for. But there was a lot of hard work prior to that. It was a couple of months of getting all of my people together to say, hey, and then it was free for a couple of days. And then it went to Kindle for $4.99. We're going to be doing a paperback and an audiobook version of it. But I was able to do all that legwork prior before the publishing date. So that mm-hmm. was really, really important. And with Sam, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. He's not very computer savvy. Um, I don't know his specific age, but I'm guessing, and this is a pretty darn good guess, in his late 70s, mm-hmm. maybe 80, 81. But he's got a, he's got a really interesting backstory. Yeah, his, his work for the, it started off as a uh, crime scene photographer in a smaller town uh-huh. in the US. And he was able to create his own, facial recognition back in the late 1960s by using the rule of threes and splitting the face up into all these quadrants and using the old mugshot books. So this mm-hmm. is before the advent of the computer that he used on was an actual mainframe that was in its own room. Mm-hmm. That's how in the late 60s, they didn't have the, the PCs per se, but he was able to figure out this algorithm to figure out facial recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, after a few years of this, the FBI kind of got wind of it and he thought he was in trouble, <laughs> but, but they wanted somebody to help with um, uh, closed circuits, uh, TV, security camera video on how to enhance the video, how to get close-ups maybe on a license plate or on a face. So this is way before it was digitized. So this is the, the raw embryonic version of closed circuit TVs and security camera TVs. And that what they ended up doing was they, they subcontracted them from 1973 to 1997, mm-hmm. whenever they would have where they would need that, but they were also looking at a video that had a inexplicable anomaly in it. Mm-hmm. It sees mm-hmm. something like, what the hell are we seeing? Is this trickery? Is this Hollywood trickery? What the hell is this? Mm-hmm. So he was able to kind of try to deconstruct if he saw something that could have been almost paranormal or supernatural. And the FBI, you know, having their capital crime units that he was able to kind of deconstruct these things. Most of them he could kind of figure out. There yeah. was a logical explanation. But some of the stuff he didn't, he couldn't figure it out. And it just defied normal, rational thought. But it's, it's fascinating. And but a forest, of, a forest Dark, forgive me, is, uh, is a novel, correct? Yep. yep. Okay. It's, okay. On Kindle, it's about 120 pages. He wanted to either write it as a biography or like a work memoir like a, a, a any kind of added some personal um stories to it that have a weird connection yeah. to yeah. some of the things and he uses he uses his background as a as a template for for his uh protagonist yeah and, and it's 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 strange and he's writing obviously under a pseudonym because these are capital crimes mm-hmm. that have no statute of limitations and he realizes that and so he writes under a pseudonym. I don't even know his real name. Mm-hmm. He, he contacted me via my IMDb page on my uh, email address, which was on IMDb. 
And the way that he tracked me down, uh, a film that I had done, a Nollywood film, was on Netflix and did really well for two years. Well, he's a fan of international uh, cinema. So was it was it you was it you hanging out the proverbial sign and you know you sort of build it and they will come, or did he come to you and and then it, it just progressed into Renegade Press? Well, so he originally it, it had ferreted me out. Um, and then saw some of my interviews that I had done for a trip to Jamaica on the BBC. Okay. And liked, he thought I had a spiritual bent, kind of a philosophical spiritual bent. He thought I was halfway smart. Boy, do I have him fooled. Um, <laughs> um, but he saw all the interviews. And then when my book came out a little over a year and a half ago, The Rannings of a Madman on Facebook, he uh -huh. read some of the Gannett USA Today, some of those interviews. Okay. And, okay. and what he was looking for, number one, was... Well, two reasons. He thought his idea could become a great book, his, mm -hmm. his background, but he mm -hmm. also wanted it to become a, either a film, a documentary, or a TV pilot. And he thought, if I could have the best of both worlds, okay. writing this book, but also having a secondary market for it, which would be the TV pilot, documentary, film, mm -hmm. I'm going to mm -hmm. hit more people. And so he wanted somebody who was not only a screenwriter, an author, but an actor and a filmmaker. So basically, I kind of fit the bill. But it was over almost, he said, almost a year's worth of time that he took to ferret me out. Mm -hmm. and to see if I was the, the type of person. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. this is my story. And he, and he gave me a paragraph on it. And he said, do you mind if, if you give me your phone number and I'll call you? So that's how it started. But it okay. took about four or five months of about 30 or so phone conversations for me to kind of divine that I think he's real. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think he, his stories are correct and true, but I have no way of knowing. Even, even though there's a, there's a great marketing aspect in that mystery. Yeah, that alone, that in and of itself, where I don't know who this person is. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there are certain things I do know about him. I've never, I've never seen him. I've, I've done phone conversations and, and emails. And mm -hmm. I do know that he has some health issues. Okay. Um, is his then, name actually Sam Johnson? No. No, okay. that's a complete pseudonym. Wow. Um, at, so I don't, there's no way that I can corroborate what he is telling me because I have no way of divining what his name is, his real mm -hmm. name, or mm -hmm. even the field office he was at in the FBI. I have no way of knowing any of this stuff. So, so in, in marketing that book, what did you learn about placing a, a book on Amazon that makes it different. You mentioned something about about memoirs and that there were 300 million titles under under memoirs. We we spoke with an author a couple months ago. She was having having some difficulty in in sales all of a sudden yeah. uh, until she added a tag uh, of gambling, and suddenly she had eyeballs from you know middle aged men were you know. And, and people that were interested in gambling, but it, it picked up a number of people who would at least engaged her website and engaged her title. So uh, uh, what, what, what have you learned from marketing? So, so uh, keywords um, uh -huh. are really important, you know, because if you get something like gambling, like a, a keyword that's very attractive or has a huge following, you know, let's say it's the NFL or, you know, Chicago Cubs, yeah. you know, or Milwaukee Brewers, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's, you know, you get something like that. And, this is and, Chicago uh, rights, by the way. So we'll, we'll edit that out. We'll just believe yeah. it. Oh, I'm um, kidding. Um, I, I, I like University of Illinois football. So there you go. All right. My, and Northwestern, actually, they're my third favorite Big Ten team. So, but anyway, <laughs> so, but, but having those keywords is important, but the categories are 16,000 categories uh -huh. on Amazon. And finding the specific category that you want and subcategory that you want is vitally important. Mm -hmm. um, if, you're, if you're just going with biographies and memoirs, like I said, now there are 35 million titles on Amazon, with Kindle and, and books, but just in biographies and memoirs alone, there's probably over a million of yeah. those books. Yeah. And so you want to be subcategorize it under something that's a little bit more distinguishing. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. want you to lessen your parameters a little bit. True biographies, memoirs, true crime, which you've already kind of narrowed that down. And then true mm -hmm. crime, there's about another 
20 or so subcategories uh, that you want to go into. And, and that's, that's important too, because you don't want to have to go up against, like for example, Forrest Stark got into the top 20 of all biographies and memoirs. Mm-hmm. And, and it was great because it was surrounded by books about Paul Newman and John Wayne and Leonardo da Vinci and Mary Queen of Scots and Al Capone wow. and mm-hmm. Forrest Stark is right amongst them. And mm-hmm. that was really, really kind of cool and really kind of heady. But, uh, but again, it's getting the keywords and the subcategories that fit your book. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's r- run down what, what an author can expect or not expect from Renegade Press. As I said, you're, you're a small publisher. It's, it's you yeah. and, uh, and, and one of the person on, on the sidelines there. So it's natural that there would be limitations. Who handles the copyright? So the I, I like that the author does all their due diligence okay. with with either getting it registered or copyrighted. Okay. That's on their own. It is still essentially their own product. Okay. It, okay. They're the ones going through. And with the ISPN number, Amazon is real good about giving you their version of that number via Kindle and then ISBN when it becomes a paperback. So they're they're amazing at, at doing that. Which and and that's cool. and that's free of charge. That's free of charge. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. That's what. Yeah, yeah. I, I was you know for for a while I, I was looking at, at self publishing, you know, and it was uh, I think twenty five dollars for for an ISBN and two hundred and fifty to buy it by ten and you know and then but that, I think that's an important consideration. Oh, yeah. uh, for for authors who were budgeted you bet yeah. you bet and and what you know with some of these vanity presses they're charging you know five thousand ten thousand and we'll yeah. publish your book and they're a one-stop shop mine is a la carte so okay. i, I okay. want them to number one do the due diligence of having the copyright and the the, the registration is is all incumbent upon them mm-hmm. so they're mm-hmm. the owner i'm not mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in essence um number two to not overcharge them where they can kind of pick out i've got you know sydney Pertle to create yeah, you know, yeah cover art or do the editing so they can kind of create it or they go to somebody that they've gone through before as an editor right. and then i also put final eyes on it the one thing that i won't do is substantive changes in the edit mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because you don't want to with sam writes as as in a, a, a person in his late 70s early 80s there was one thing i had to change that could have been deemed very innocently could have been deemed uh passively racist okay Um, okay and he didn't mean it he didn't have ill will towards Mm -hmm. it at all it just it was something that was used more commonplace in the 60s and 70s okay okay that it's used now in but it's still there was no pejorative no negative Mm -hmm. you know uh, background behind it. Mm-hmm. It was just very innocent. And I, I told him, I said, I'm going to have to change this. And he understood too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why. And he wasn't, he's like, Oh my gosh, I, I didn't, I didn't even think. So there's some things that have to be changed, you know, yeah, yeah. but, but from a, from a, a substantive point of view, I don't like t- to take heart out of someone's writing style. On last month's show, we had a, a discussion with Don Evans, uh, who's an editor and a book doctor. And he's uh, he's doctored a couple of books that were were substantially um, benefited by by his his suggestions. And then, yeah. you know, he, he works very closely with the author. Uh, and, and so there, there's that buy in. Um, so we, we would recommend that for for anyone who's not sure that their book is is ready for publishing and and ready to go to to an author. Let me ask yeah. you ask you this, because you, you talk about. Uh, an, an a la carte aspect of, of publishing. Is there a basic charge for for an author to to submit or to uh, that that you that you've accepted their work and uh, is is there a charge after? No, I, okay. I don't make in, in, I don't make any. I don't have a percentage basis with yeah. my book cover editor. That's all hers. That's okay. Okay. I don't have that that's that's completely her own and and i don't want to do that because yeah, i don't yeah. want it to be put in the same situation of paying a publisher yeah. you know ten thousand, and you get it out yeah, there yeah um, but it's it's essentially it, i monetize it and i incentivize it by saying the bigger we are 
you know, the more you promote it, the more I promote it, the more money we make. So it's right. incentivized that way. So there isn't a at front, you know, upfront payment. A partnering. Just, there's a, there's a partnering yeah. aspect. Oh, that's probably wanted the percentages to be more aggressively mm -hmm. towards and, and more generous towards the writer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, as compared to a lot of other publishing houses. But I, I really wanted it to be a public or a writer's a haven. But again, it comes down to promote, promote, promote. Mm -hmm. you, you still have to be, you know, promoting all the time. And that's a little bit. Okay. Uh, so you, you spoke that spoke about having uh, or offering editing and cover art services. Talk a little bit about, uh, and, and I, I saw the cover for uh, Forrest Dark and yeah. it was uh, it was really nicely done. Thank you. Um, editing is such an integral part of authoring a book. Yeah. And yeah. Some, some rare individuals are able to do that on their own, but you're gonna miss something. You know, yeah. if you're talking 60 or 90 or 100,000 words, you're gonna miss something. Yeah, in it, it again, like even um, even formatting issues. Like mm -hmm. I, I had I had to go back and reformat a Forest Dark, but but also very quickly because you mentioned the cover that Sidney Pirtle did. I had this idea of what I wanted the cover to be, mm -hmm. and because there's a, a, a teddy bear that's a, a weird component to the book. Yeah, um, in his own personal life, there are actually hidden teddy bears in this. Oh, interesting! I have to take another look at yeah, it. Yeah, so there's about five or six of them. But right. we wanted it to make it so that it was uh, kind of interesting to add the, the mystery element to it. But uh -huh, it, uh -huh. he did a, an amazing job with that. But but getting back to kind of the the editing process, yeah, you're you're going through it maybe not just a couple of times, but 30, 40, 50 times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that gets a little bit mind numbing after a while because yeah, you're reading your own writing, but having fresh eyes on it is, is really important because mm -hmm. you're always going to miss a typo. You're always mm -hmm. going to miss a, you know, a comma that should be there and isn't. Yep. And, and then there's always, you know, the major, you know, full pause you want to have corrected, you know, right away. Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's tricky because I don't, I don't want to ever steal someone's, uh life's blood their, their their heartbeat of their writing exactly but it's important it's important to have human eyes as an editor. Yes. There, there are a number of editing services and and i'm using i'm using one here uh for for a manuscript i'm working on and it, it keeps correcting it, it's an experimental fiction work it keeps correcting some of that some of that experiment sometimes yeah. sometimes it's correct it it, it allows me to take uh, at least a, a second deeper look at yeah. at the syntax or the sentence structure or what yeah. have you but often it can be it can be stifling and i think having a human editor allows that person to make a judgment come back to the author and say what did you mean by this is this yeah. is this how you want it to read is yeah. this is this part so that that's very important but working with a human who understands both the, the writing structure as well as grammar mm -hmm. and non sequitur and you know editing yeah, and all yeah. it's it's really important yeah so so having that and having that one on one with the editors with the, and the writers is important for those reasons but yeah and it's all about you know again story 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 pods uh, so uh, print on demand there there are a lot of authors who like to have uh, either a book in their hands, they they give it out to a, to family and friends, or promotional, or they'd like a they'd like a box of books to sit at a table at a book fair. How is that working for Renegade Press? So the beautiful thing about Amazon is that they give you an opportunity to have authors' copies of it at a, a very uh, substantial discount. Now there's a, yeah, there's a percentage though that they have to make off of things, and there's a minimum. That they'll sell it for, but even yeah. at the minimum, they give you an opportunity to have promotion days where you can sell it at the minimum, you know, the bare minimum that they would allow. Well, that gives uh, uh, authors yet that opportunity to buy a hundred copies without breaking the bank, and then having those physical copies to go to book shows and book signings and mm -hmm. things like that. It's it's amazing. It's leveled the playing field. It's pretty amazing what you're able to, to get across and okay. and to get it within a very short period as well. Great. Uh, audiobook and ebook services. 
Yep. So with the audiobook, they go through um, Audible, uh-huh. which is the number one company for that. And it's I built a recording studio in my home, and I'm able to do that as a very inexpensive add-on for the the uh, publishing house. But I also give them an opportunity to if they have the wherewithal to do it. The problem with it is the what audible it's they're very picky Mm -hmm. on what they accept Mm -hmm. you know or um you know you go through a program called audacity you have to get the program and it has to be within the constructs and parameters of audible and um it's time consuming holy smokes and and if you have a a a ton of money you could always go get you know morgan freeman or bill clinton to do (laughs) i believe america needs that's my (laughs) Oh, I love Dan Davies. That's my good <laughs> I had to get those two in. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's that's another thing that we can add to the table is I can do the 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 audio book as well. Uh-huh. Um, but that's that's in and of itself is a huge, huge, huge market paperback. And now Amazon has hardcovers where they didn't. That's just recently, just in the past like six months, you can get a hardcover edition. But now they have that within it. So it's been a it's been amazing, actually. They they did it correctly, I think. Platform placement. You, you spoke about doing that, but there's there's copy involved in that. Do you do you generate the copy on on the Amazon page, or is that something you prefer the author to do? No, I'd like to work hand in glove with the author, nice. but still, again, it's eighty percent of me saying, "This is what I found to work. This is we need." You know. We need your bio and it just can't be, you know, short, like I like, you know, coffee and, um, kittens, you know, it has to be more than that. And, and also the description, the log line or the description Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. book has to be tantalizing enough and titillating to get somebody to read it. And then about Renegade Press, which I'll put in there and um, and the cover art and all those things. So I help create all of those things um, kind of hand in glove, but it's still it's about 80% yeah. of me saying this is what we should do. Okay. And um, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned logline that that is not a term that I hear used a lot in book publishing. Yeah. I hear it all the time in film publishing in, yeah. in, in, in filmmaking, which yep. is which is extremely important. To yeah. narrow your idea down to to that basic first sentence, uh, yep. one or two, one or two, maybe three sentences, but you, yep. you you boil it down, and it's a it's a an action oriented statement, punch words, yeah. which, which I, I think I think is very interesting that that crossover between film and book publishing. Yeah, and it's and it's you see almost like. Almost ninety percent of all, well, seventy to ninety percent of all new television series are based on intellectual property. They're based yeah. on graphic novel or a novel or a comic book. You know, yeah. so there, there, so there's a hand in glove. There's a connective tissue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, between the two of them. That you, there's a marriage now, and and the more of those watchwords that you can use that yeah. kind of even marry it further, mm-hmm. the better you are in the long run. And I always tell people, it's always like the back of a, uh, of a, a card, you know, your business card, the summary of the book should be a paragraph or two. That's about it. But you want to hit them hard with how do you synthesize your book into two, three, four sentences yeah. Boom, yeah. to really grab them. And, and they always said that in a pitch process for a movie, you've got about a, just a few minutes to get their attention. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so I, I do the same kind of process with, with the books because my goal with the publishing is I'm also looking at it. Could this turn out to be a TV pilot, uh-huh. an episodic series or a movie? And that's what I bring to the table with Renegade Press. It's not only as a publisher, yeah. which I'm a neophyte, I'm a new guy at it, but I'm learning, but I want to see about the other aspects of it. Mm-hmm. and the other secondary and tertiary uh, markets. And those are selling it as, you know, taking it, making it into a screenplay mm-hmm. or teleplay or crafting a TV pilot, half hour, or one hour for an episodic series. Yeah. We're seeing about a feature film. That's what I want to bring to the table. And with all the contacts that I've made in the last 
15, 20 years, it's pretty extensive. Let me just back, back that up a little bit, because I think that's an important statement. There are so many more venues for uh, for filmmaking now, the, the the movie theaters, but there's Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon and Disney and, and uh, all these all these all these companies are competing for material. There's a deficit of of material in the marketplace to fill yeah. all the. Um, I I was just approached by a film producer in in Hollywood about a book that I published twelve years ago. Yeah, and it was it was it was it was for the Occupy movement, and it was this dystopian social science fiction piece that I just sort of put on the shelf and forgot about. Yeah, but that that happened. It matters how you market the book and yeah. how you describe the book, both uh, both in the website and on on the on the book jacket. And yeah. you never know whose eyeballs are getting on on your work. You bet. With the forest dark. We were able to shoot the TV pilot for it, a one-hour TV wow. that'll be uh, finalized in this coming September, This and then chopped around to Netflix and Hulu and that's all kinds of And mm -hmm. I think that's what I can bring to the table. As, as I said earlier, I think it's important that smaller houses, independent houses, are still bringing life and character to the marketplace. Yeah. And it's again, it's giving that opportunity for somebody who might have, you know, an esoteric or uh, unique spin on things and, and they write it from that perspective. So you don't want it too narrow, um, but you want, also want to get a great story about it. And it's all about the story. You Indeed. Know, story, 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 story. Do you have a submission policy? Uh, you spoke uh, you spoke a little bit about about shepherding content in, in in very judicious ways yeah and and so i started kind of you know you always start from your inner circle yeah and then yeah. the secondary circles and yeah. you know and that's kind of where i started within just my um the, the friends that i know there are enough mm -hmm. creatives you know you can't i can't throw a dead cat without hitting someone you know I've, I've said and we had this uh, we had this discussion on my arts podcast with uh with michael sable and yeah. and you were you were on our radio show uh the folks up in two rivers wisconsin were, was on our radio show um you've got harold grummer and and the art making group it's an underrealized or understated wealth of yeah. creative talent yeah. in in that part of uh wisconsin appleton wisconsin yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you've had, you know, Steve March Torme and Michael Steve Seth March Torme's, yeah. And all the, the Two Rivers people and the Appleton, yeah. Fox Cities people. You yeah. know, we live, we're, we're afforded this opportunity living in this area. Yeah. You know, my, my house alone in Los Angeles would be a $4 million home. Uh -huh. um, you know, <laughs> but, but it's not here in Appleton, not, not even close. But we're, we're given an opportunity to have things, number one, and number two, to have the spare time to get creative things done, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and so this living in this area, it's, it's a creative haven. You know, we've got uh, musicians and artists. And, Willem and Dafoe writers. is from... Yep. Yeah. Well, Willem yeah. Dafoe is from Appleton, Harry Houdini and the Ferber. Right, right. Uh, yeah, uh, Rocky Blyer and the, the list yeah. goes on and on and on and on of, of, of creatives and Rocky wrote a good something in the water up there, man. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And if uh, Rocky uh, Rocky Blyer wrote an amazing book too about his struggles, which got made into a movie years ago. But mm -hmm. no, it's just it's a great place to live, and and you have the the wherewithal to do these things. And so, what kind of what kind of books are uh, is Renegade Press looking to to publish? So I'm, I can't tell you the title of it yet. I mean, okay. I, I maybe could, um, but it's it's a movie that's in the process of getting made and it's um, a, a bigger budgeted film and it's a fascinating period piece from the late 1960s, early 70s. Mm -hmm. I have a small role in the film, which is kind of cool. And they were at Abbey Road Studios uh, doing the uh, soundtrack for it already. Wow. 14 uh, original songs on it. So it's very musically oriented mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, film um, with a great message about freedom and, and all kinds of great things. 
And that's going to be probably the second book that we're getting out and super excited about that. Yeah. I probably could tell you the title, but I'm just afraid there's all kinds of, you know, NDAs, all kinds of stuff. We'll have you back. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to, to help promote that. And it's, um, it's a really a neat philosophical uh, musical bent to it. And um, the writer, she kind of melded, you know, music with a, a time frame of the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. and two different cultures in, in Russia and the United States, the Soviet Union and the United States. So it's really fascinating and really, really well done. So excited about that. But yeah, again, looking again, looking for books that have that potential you know, story, 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 but have that potential be made into a, okay. you know, have a treatment, screenplay, teleplay, mm-hmm. TV pilot, documentary mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. on the way down, you know. Where do authors submit to Renegade Press? Do you have a website? So I don't have a website yet, but people can just email me is the best way to start. I have to get Renegade Press. I have to get a website going. I've, okay. I'm working on, see, Ed Gein, the musical is having a premiere uh, SRS Cinema picked it up. I've got this I Dream of a Cycle Pomp, small role. I've got all k- kinds of feature films coming out and the National <laughs> Independent Film Association Awards, September uh-huh. 24th. Um, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need you to so, keep it together for, here for yeah. us. Can, uh, can we give out um, the email, yeah. rather? Yes, it's Davies, but it's an old world spelling of my last name. So I'm going to spell the whole thing. D-A-N-N-Y dot D-A-V as in Virgo, mm-hmm. I-Z as in zebra at gmail.com. So okay. Danny dot Davies at gmail.com. Okay. And that's the best way to, to go about it. And if people are interested in the book, A Forest Dark, the ebook, Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's on Amazon under Samuel Thomas Johnson. When people submit the book to you, do you want them to submit the manuscript or synopsis of the book? Yeah, a basic query. Would you be interested? This is the log line. This is the story. Yeah, this yeah. Is my background. Yeah. Because I want to know about them because that's equally important because you're not only selling a book, you're selling the author. You're yeah. selling, you know, their background. So it's yeah. you know, log line, synopsis, summary, and then about themselves, you know, I worked and, you know, whatever. So yeah. or as a uh, actor, writer, whatever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I want to know all those backgrounds. So don't send the manuscript. And I tell people to always go through the due diligence of at least protecting yourself yes. with the copyright or registering it. And before you send it out, Copy, copyright.gov is, yep. is the best website, copyright.gov. Yep. And you shouldn't send anything out unsolicited. Mm-hmm. You know, you should always wait for the publisher to come back and say, wow, yep. you keep yep. my interest. Send me it. Don't just send it. And I'm inundated with all kinds of crazy stuff. So and a lot of good news, and a lot of good projects. So I'm very fortunate that way. So I'm not, I guess I'm not complaining being this busy, but it's I put in about 70 to 80 hours a weekend. But then I have time, Bill, to enjoy Wisconsin beer. There you go. Bratwurst and cheese, because I still have to have my culture intact, my Wisconsin <laughs> culture. <laughs> so, so I don't live a draconian, you know, lifestyle. Uh, uh, so I'm able to celebrate and have cigars and beers once in a while. So good man, good man. I, I love Wisconsin. Uh, Dan Davies is the publisher of Renegade Press LLC in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, we will link to the bookseller article and to Renegade Press LLC in the notes below. And we'll also post Dan Davies at gmail.com. That's D A V I Z uh, at gmail.com for possible submissions. Perfect. Dan, thank you so much, man. This was great. Thank you, Bill. And now, news for writers. From GoBookmark.com, six different types of conflict in literature, and maybe even a seventh from a listener. In literature, conflict is a significant literary device. A story cannot progress without conflict. It works as friction to make it more interesting and offers an edge to the story. Conflict provides a profound meaning to the story, presenting all of the strengths, values, and weaknesses of a character. In this article, 
the authors tell us about six different types of conflict in literature. The article goes on to talk about person versus person, person versus society, person versus nature, person versus technology, person versus supernatural, and person versus self. A listener, Vincent Bruckert, of the band Crown Vic Royal, offered a seventh Beckettian quotidian. In 1953, Irish novelist and playwright Samuel Beckett published his seminal play, first written in French, En attendant Godot, Waiting for Godot. Ostensibly, Waiting for Godot is about nothing, as two characters come together, each waiting for the titular Godot. The implied tension of the mundane, and in the expectation of Godot, is arguably a seventh type of story conflict. Thanks, Vince. While we're here at GoBookmark.com, we found this piece also very informative. Different types of characters in a story or literature to give different layers to a story. A diverse range of engaging character types is at the heart of all great narrative. A primary character needs to be interesting and three-dimensional so that readers and viewers may spend hours with them without getting tired of them. Supporting characters such as sidekicks, romantic interests, parental figures, villains, and anti-heroes are just as significant. We all know about the protagonists and antagonists, but relationship and supporting characters, like people in our own lives, add depth, action, and definition. Love interest, confidant, foils, and tertiary characters are all important. And then there is the deuteragonist. Spelled D-E-U-T-E-R-A-G-O-N-I-S-T, these individuals frequently cross paths with confidants. A deuteragonist is someone who is near to the protagonist, but whose character journey is not directly related to the action or story. Horatio serves as a deuteragonist as well. Samwise Gammy plays the role of the deuteragonist in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Benvolio is the deuteragonist in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, who also serves as a confidant. In contrast, Mercutio is a deuteragonist, but not a confidant. For more on this, check the notes below and click on the links. And this story from 2016 caught our eye. This is from writersright.com. In an 1881 letter from Samuel L. Clemens, re Mark Twain, to a young 21-year-old writer named Bruce W. Monroe, Twain offered some sage advice on writing he had learned over the years. In the letter, Twain explains how experience and knowledge is required to write a great book. He tells the young writer that only a, quote, colossal genius could write a readable book before age 30. From creativewritingnews.com, Food 52 calls for writers with pay of $200 to $500. This is from August 22nd, 2022. Are you a food writer? Do you love writing recipes and articles about delicacies? Great! Food 52 would be pleased to receive your pitch. If you have an idea for a story on food that might fit its mission, you can contact the editors at pitches at food52, that's F-O-O-D, 52 Dot com. Check out the links, tips, and guidelines in the notes below. In marketing news, how this author leveraged TikTok to build buzz around her novel. Alex Astor, 27, was rejected by more than a dozen publishers, and her agent dropped her over her continued efforts to push a story her agent thought wouldn't do well. Now she's the author of Book Talk's newest hit. This from August 23rd, 2022, by Anna Kaplan from Today. Alex went out on a whim and posted a TikTok in March 2021 asking if anyone would be interested in reading the plot of what would become her young adult novel, Light Lark. And at first it flopped. And so it's like, oh my gosh, she says, I'm proving everyone right. No one wants this concept. But it's like, again, I had literally nothing to lose. But the next morning, she checked TikTok, and it had over a million views and thousands of comments asking how to purchase the book and how to read it. And because of the user interest suggested by that TikTok data, the novel went to auction between a handful 
of remaining publishers. This is taken from an article July 15, 2022. In today's Washington Post Book Club, Ron Charles makes an important point about what bargain books are. The price of a book in 2022 is only about twice of what it was in 1981, which is less than half the inflation rate. He goes on to highlight the immense pressure publishers and booksellers are under at the moment having to absorb ever-increasing costs of production because book pricing doesn't allow production costs to be passed on to the consumer in a way that they can with other products. Maria Palente, the president and CEO of the Association of American Publishers, says the list price is a key part of giving any particular book its best shot to be successful. A price increase would adversely affect the sales of a book that's already in production or already in a warehouse. Booksellers find themselves similarly constrained. Bradley Graham, co-owner of Politics and Prose in Washington, D.C., tells the writer of this article, Inflation leaves us caught in the middle and really squeezes us. That's because our costs go up, our book prices tend to increase more slowly, and aren't even controlled by us. They're set by the publishers or the authors. It's a tough position to be in. And finally, some details and numbers about who buys books and why. This from Markenblog.com. 29 book sales statistics based on real numbers and studies. This is from Marius Canulis from December 6, 2019. Ebooks are declining in sales but still represent a nearly $1 billion business. As of August 2019, hardcovers were the big winner, with a trend indicating that there is a psychological component to holding a physical book, with the exception of audiobooks, which have seen a double digit growth and are now over a billion dollars in annual sales. Self published books make up about 60% of the ebooks offered on Kindle Unlimited by Amazon. According to the article, the most popular genres are memoirs and biographies, self help, religion and spirituality, number four, health, fitness, and dieting, and number five, politics and science. For ebooks, the most popular categories are religion and spirituality, biographies and memoirs, business and money, self-help, cookbooks, food, and wine. According to Ad Project Report, the following subgenres make the most money. Number one, romance and erotica, $1.4 billion annually. Crime and mystery come in at number two for $728 million. Number three, religion and inspirational at $720 million. Science fiction and fantasy at $590 million. Children and young adult, $160 million. And at number six, horror at $79.6 million. A link to that article is in the notes below. That does it for this episode of Chicago Writes. Our thanks to Dan Davies and to all of you who listen. You've been listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Links to our featured guests are in the notes below, as well as links to the Chicago Writers Association. Until next time. Support this podcast by simply clicking the subscribe button to receive notification about all of our upcoming episodes, upcoming events, and programs from the Chicago Writers Association, chicagorights.org. Our theme song, Midnight Ride, is courtesy of Dino Lovchich. Find Dino's music on YouTube and on Spotify.